0: Thank you for your sermon on the mount thank you for teaching us the beatitudes thank you that through the holy spirit you are with the children this morning as they go to their activity and we pray that you will help and guide them to learn and understand more about the beatitudes and how they can apply them to their lives today and every day amen Amen. well the title of today's sermon from john is can god give us goodness give us his goodness I'm interested to understand more about what John means by that, actually, from the sermon. So can I be encouraging to really be thinking about that question already? And then Sam now is going to bring us this morning's reading from Romans, and then John will bring us God's word.
1: So the reading comes from Romans chapter 3, verses verses
0: 21 to 26. 26.
1: It's found on page 941 of the Church Bibles. Let's give you a moment to find that. So, verses 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is a word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: That's better. Everybody can hear me, I would have thought. Well, can I add my welcome? If you don't know me, I'm John. Uh, I have the privilege of being the, the pastor of this new little church that we hope under God he will use uh, to reach others. With the, the good news, there's there's wonderful news in these words that we just had read. Uh, but I need God's help. I'm feeling pretty tired. Um, and uh, so I need to to wake up and let's pray that God would help me to speak well and as all to understand. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you so much for the good news, your good news that is spreading throughout the whole world. Lord, we thank you that it's reached us. And we pray, Lord, that you would be our teacher, Lord Jesus, in your risen power this morning, and that your Holy Spirit would Help each of us to understand. Help me, Lord, to say things that are helpful. And please bring your light into our hearts, we pray. Amen. Well, how can we accept ourselves? How can we be proud of ourselves? How can we have a positive self-image? How can we be free from oppression these are the questions of our age are they not maybe our age should not be so quick to dismiss the reality of God in seeking to answer these questions And I'm not going to try and answer all of these questions in this sermon just that one question how can we accept ourselves The problem is that we have only two options if God doesn't exist. We can pretend to ourselves that we never fail. Or not in any significant way. We're basically good. Surely we might fail a little bit, but not catastrophically. We need to preserve our self-esteem at all costs. Even maybe at the cost of a long, hard look at ourselves. The other is that if we do fail significantly, we're cast into despair because our failure challenges our self-acceptance. So how can we accept ourselves? But what if God, the one who is infinitely good, could accept us as we are, just as we are, and give us his goodness. His righteousness is the the word that's used in the passage we had read. What if God could say, I accept you, I love you for who you are and will make you perfect for myself? Well, that's the good news of the Christian gospel. Uh, For those of you who have just... Joined us, we're working our way through uh, the book of Romans, and it's been pretty dark up to this point. Paul has been arguing that absolutely everyone in the world, everyone who has ever lived, is not good enough for God. Look at chapter 3, verse 10. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. He's been uh, arguing this all the way from chapter 1 all the way through to chapter 3, verse 20. And his conclusion is, verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified. That's declared to be right with God in his sight, in God's sight. Since through the law, whatever ethical system we use, comes knowledge of sin, knowledge of failure. So that's where he's got to. We've been thinking it's like the dark background that enables us to see the the diamond, the treasure of this good news of God that he's writing to the Roman church in about AD 57. Well, three things we learn from the passage that we had read. Firstly, God's righteousness has been made clear through faith in Jesus Christ. Look with me at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, that the moral perfection of God has been manifested apart from the law, apart from either the Old Testament law that the, the Jewish people looked to or the virtues that the Gentile people looked to, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The Old Testament bears witness to this righteousness of God that has been manifested and apart from an ethical system. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. As we've been looking at it, uh, the, the book of Romans, we've seen that being made right with God is not an accounting system. It's not that we sort of tot up all our good deeds and hope that they will somehow outweigh all our bad deeds. Because the standard God has for a good deed is perfection. It's not knowing the Ten Commandments, it's obeying the Ten Commandments, as we were looking at last week. We will never do enough good deeds to outweigh our bad deeds because even our good deeds fall short. He's gonna say that a little later on. We all fall short of the glory of God. Nobody is perfect. And that is the standard that God requires. I mean, we don't require it, do we? But would God still be God? If his standard of entry into heaven was not perfection, of course not. So it's not my accounting. It's, it's accepting the fact that I'm not okay, which is probably fairly obvious, but also you're not okay. And only Jesus can make us okay with God. And what Paul is saying is that the righteousness of God has been made clear, has been manifest, has been shown apart from the law, although the law, the Ten Commandments, the prophets, the Old Testament, bear witness to it. Paul's going to make this much clearer in chapter 4, but he's saying that the way God has always made people right with himself is through faith. Abraham, King David, Moses, all the prof- they were all right with God, not because they were better people than others, but because they trusted in what God said. The righteousness of God through faith, through trust in Jesus Christ, for all who believe, doesn't matter who we are here this morning, God can give us his perfect righteousness simply by us trusting in Jesus Christ. God can see us as perfect, and relate to us as perfect, clothed with the goodness of Jesus Christ, the only human being ever to have been perfect. It's not accounting. It's not we tot up our good deeds and help, uh, hope that they uh, balance out or overcome our bad deeds. Paul has argued that that is wrong. It's not accounting. It's just asking God to give us his goodness, uh, Fida Hussein. I don't know if you saw this story in the in the media over the last week or so. Um, <clears throat> I mean, he looked really ripped. I'm, I'm told that's the right way of describing a guy who looks, you know, like that the, they work out and there's muscles everywhere and a six pack. I can only hope for that kind of thing. But no, he, he was really, really looked invincible. But maybe foolishly, foolishly, he headed up. Mont Blanc in a tracksuit and trainers, and thought he was going to make it to the top. You know, strong guy, up he goes. But he fell down a crevasse 20 meters down, trapped. And he expected to die. Thankfully, he had his mobile phone with him. He called Mountain Rescue. And with his body temperature down to uh, the medics here, I think this sounds pretty bad. His body temperature was down to 25 degrees centigrade. He was minutes away from death. They found him, took him to hospital. If that illustration helps, we cannot scale the mountain of doing good. It's impossible. We're fools if we think we can get to the top of the mountain by our own good works, get to to be with God. No, we've got to cry for help. We need a rescuer, just like Fida Hussein needed rescue. We need rescue. And that's how we are made right with God. Not by trying to save ourselves, but by crying out to God to be given God's righteousness. You see, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, who calls on him, is made righteous in God's sight, with God's righteousness. So just a question for us. Have we called on the name of Jesus and trusted in Jesus to make us right with God? As we were thinking about a couple of weeks ago, we need to turn away of the good things we do uh, as a basis for our acceptance with God, because they need to be perfect to be acceptable to God. See, judgment is always based on works either the works of Jesus or ours. And if we have called on the name of Jesus, if we've trusted in him and what he's done, God's righteousness has been given to us. God views you as he views his one and only son, the object of his delight and love. He accepts you in the same way as he accepts his son Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful privilege? I mean, isn't that astounding? That God would relate to sinful people like you and me as if we are perfect. But that leads to the objection, doesn't it? But surely it just doesn't actually deal with my sin, does it? I mean, if I do wrong things, uh, if I'm given God's righteousness, how, how does that just not just cover it up? Well, there's a lot in the Old Testament about that being a very good thing. All the sacrifices in the Old Testament were to cover sin. But Paul goes on to explain how it is that God deals with our sin. This is our second point. God's righteousness is given through faith in his propitiation by Jesus Christ. God's righteousness is given through faith, trust in his, that's God's, propitiation by Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Now, what we believe here at Cornerstone is that each and every word of the Bible is inspired by God. So whether it's Paul or the gospel writers, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, they have used particular words. Yes, they were sinful human beings, But God has so enabled them to write that each and every word is exactly what God wanted to be written. It's called verbal inspiration or plenary inspiration of the Bible. What does it mean? It means that this word propitiation is no accident. Look with me at verse 22, the second half. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's just recapping what he's argued in the first three chapters. No one's gonna make it to the top by trying hard. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. There's lots of words here that we need to get our heads around. Justification, what does that mean? It means to make righteous, to make as morally perfect as God. It's the verbal form of righteous. We don't have a word that says, I righteous somebody. That's what it is in the original, to be made righteous, to be declared righteous, to be declared innocent in God's sight. So we are justified. We are made righteous. He's writing to Christians, by his grace, that's the undeserved favor of God, we heard earlier on, God's riches at Christ's expense, as a gift. Being made right with God is a free gift. Is that good. I guess we're starting to think about Christmas, aren't we? Planning the expenditure, thinking, well, there's lots of expenditure coming, I better tighten the belt now. We value gifts that we are given on the basis of what they do or what they cost. If someone here was given a car, oh, that would be valuable. Oh, freedom. Um, if I gave my wife some very cheap perfume, it may not go down that well. Whatever the thought behind it. And the gift that God gives to those who trust in Jesus is simply amazing. It's such good news. It's by His grace, it's a free gift, by His generosity, the generosity of God. God can be infinitely generous. What does He give people who trust in His Son Jesus Christ? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption. It's the word of the Old Testament, the redemption of the slaves in Israel out into the freedom of the Promised Land. It's the the, the word of the slave market, being set free from oppression, being set free from slavery. Jesus Christ claimed to come to set people free, people like you and me, free. Another way of thinking of it it is in accounting terms, if we've got ourselves into millions and millions of pounds worth of debt, It's very, very good news for somebody to come and say, look, I'll just, I'll cancel that, I'll cover it all. I'll set you free. And Jesus takes the debt on himself of our moral failing to set us free from it, to set us free from its penalty, from its power. But the question is, well, how can God just let us off our moral failing? cancel our sins I mean how does he do that and this is where we come to this word propitiation so verse 25 whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith so what is it about this propitiation that means that we can receive by faith well propitiation is a word that is not so common in our culture now but it was in the ancient world propitiation is the idea that God is rightly angry and furious at sin and evil and wickedness, and he will judge, but he can be propitiated by a sacrifice. Now, of course, in the ancient world, this was often pagan. There was propitiatory sacrifices in the, the religion of Greece and Rome and all the ancient cultures. So there was an understanding. But what Paul is saying is, no, God is justly revealing his wrath against humanity. And here is the answer. The wrath of God can fall not on you or me, but on Jesus as our propitiatory sacrifice, the one who takes all the punishment of God against all the sin of the, those people who trust in Jesus. That's how God does it. Uh, Remember those days of heat a few months ago? Do you remember that tinder dry? You know, fire could break out anywhere, couldn't it? I had to, you know, make sure I wasn't doing too many barbecues because that could have set fire to next door. You know, tinder dry. Paul is saying that's what all of humanity is like. We face the hot, furious, just right judgment of God. We naturally face hell. But someone else can be burnt for us. It's the way that you deal with fire, apparently. Um, if you want to stop fire spreading, you you, 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 you burn a, a stretch. Because as the fire comes up to that stretch that's already burned, it stops because fire will never burn the same place twice. And it's like that with Jesus. If Jesus has taken the furious, hot anger of God in our place, God will never punish us who are in Jesus. There will be no judgment, no fury, no hell for those who trust in Jesus because God's judgment never burns the same place twice. And if we are in Christ, we are safe. So if we really want to be right with God, then we need to trust in the one who has taken the punishment of God in our place, because then we are free from the penalty of sin. And if we've trusted in what Jesus has done, we will never be judged. We can look forward with certainty to heaven, not because we're good people, we know that, but because the good man, the one righteous man has been judged in our place. Our hearts should be full of thankfulness to Jesus, should they not? That when he went to the cross and he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I am your son. I'm righteous. Why would you forsake me? He did that for all who trust in him, for you and for me, for people like us. And we think, well, isn't this unfair? Well, yes, in one sense. It's unfair that someone who has murdered, like the Apostle Paul, and then trusts in Jesus, is forgiven. That somebody who has murdered, like Moses, or committed adultery, like David, and trusts in what God provides is forgiven, and yet somebody who's to all intents and purposes lived a better life but wants to scale the mountain themselves, wants to present to God their righteousness and reject God's way of being right with him, will be lost forever. But it is fair, according to God's justice, and this is our final point. God's righteousness is just and justifies those with faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I know there's lots of language here that we, we may need to get our heads around, but hopefully as we and do ask questions afterwards, things that I haven't made clear, let's wrestle with this. You see, our problem is not that we have a high view of justice and we want God to be just, we don't have a high enough view of God's justice. God cannot just forgive. I mean, we can. We can just let people off. For the sake of the relationship, God cannot. Why? Well, look with me at the second half of verse 25. This, so the propitiation by Jesus' blood, to be received by faith, this, was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. See, God had, it seemed, let people off under the Old Testament. He had passed over former sins the sins of his people Israel, the sins of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they were pretty nasty pieces of work if you read the Bible. Or or David, he'd passed over all those former sins. But was that? Because he could just sort of let people off? No, he knew that a day was coming when his son, the Lord Jesus, would hang on a cross, enduring the punishment, the just wrath of God on him, to show his justice, his righteousness at the present time that he might be just, and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Can God just forgive people? No, he can't. Even the smallest atom of moral evil in our lives, God cannot let off. Justice must be done. Heaven must be a perfect place that only has perfect people coming into it. But he has made a way He has enabled a way for sinful people like you and I to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, for Jesus to take the punishment that we deserve, not as some third innocent party. God himself takes into himself our sin and consumes his justice against it. Justice must be done for people to be forgiven, for people like you and I to be forgiven. And justice was done when Jesus died on the cross. John Piper puts it this way, as I start to uh, draw things to a close, the wisdom of God has ordained a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. See, either we suffer eternal punishment for our sins, or we're overjoyed that Jesus will do that for us. Either we will try and stand before God on Judgment Day with our good deeds that the Bible says are like filthy rags, or we're delighted to say, Jesus, please, would you give me your righteousness, the righteousness of God, so that I'm clothed not in my filthy rags, but in your perfect, blazing light. Please give that to me, Lord Jesus. As a free gift, there's no other way. I just need to cry out for rescue, for redemption. And so, Paul says, verse 27, that what, what becomes of our boasting, it is excluded. You know, Nobody can boast about being a Christian because it's a free gift. Now, how does this help us with that question at the beginning? How do we accept ourselves? Well, if God accepts us, If God has dealt with all our wickedness, if God, because we've trusted in Jesus, has given us his righteousness, if he has set us free from the power and penalty of sin and promised that we will shine like the sun, you know know who shines like the sun in the new world? Jesus. And we will shine like him in his righteousness in that new creation see, freedom is being accepted and loved by God. Self-acceptance is about being accepted by God. So it doesn't matter who rejects us. It doesn't matter even if we reject ourselves. If God accepts us, who are we to disagree? But that means a proud Christian is a contradiction in terms because we're Christians by a gift, aren't we? A grumbling Christian is a contradiction in terms because we're of all the people in the world, those who've been given the greatest possible gift. A, a guilt-ridden Christian is a contradiction in terms because we don't justify ourselves. God does. And if God is for us, who can be against us? What Paul saying say in chapter 8. Now, I know for, for a lot of us, just as we close, we, we know this. We, we know this, don't we? It's good to be reminded of it. But Paul spends the rest of his letter fleshing this out so that we might live in line with it. I mean, really the gospel, that's it, verses 21 to 26. He spends the rest of his letter explaining how to live out of the sort of engine of the gospel. If we get the engine of the gospel wrong, then we don't have power to live as Christians. At the heart of the Christian life is the gospel, and if we don't get that heart right, then our body is not going to function properly. It's so easy for us to replace the gospel with something else, our good works, whether we come to church or not, whether we do the right thing or not. No, the righteousness of God being given to us in Jesus, by faith in Jesus, is the power to live the Christian life. Well, let's just pray, shall we, as we close our time together, let's pray. Lord, we praise you and thank you that you sent your son into the world to take the judgment that we deserve and to give us a righteousness, your goodness, that we could never achieve. Lord, thank you for your free gift. Lord, help us so to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might know that you accept us, and therefore accept ourselves. Amen.
0: In just a moment, we're going to sing, and then say the confession together, but... First I think, just have a moment of silence maybe to consider and reflect on just what we've heard this morning. Let's stand and sing (coughs) Amazing Grace.